Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. G'day, my name is Margie Thorpe. You are listening to 3CR Community Radio 855 on your dial. I think 3CR is the voice of the people speaking back to the establishment and telling them what they think and sometimes it's something they don't want to hear. On Monday the 23rd of March, 3CR closed its doors to all presenters so that we could do our bit to help stop the spread of COVID-19. We understand that it's important for people to be able to stay at home at this time in order to reduce the number of people affected and thereby reduce the stress on our health system. Since the 3CR shutdown, programmers and volunteers have been working remotely to create new content and produce their show from home. We'll continue to bring you dynamic, up-to-date community radio during the COVID-19 crisis, so keep listening. Five, four, three, two, one. You're listening to 3CR Community Radio. Currently, I would like to acknowledge the Wurundjeri and the Bunurong people of the Kulin Nation, true owners, caretakers and custodians of the land from which we broadcast. We pay respect to elders past, present and emerging and extend that respect to any First Nations people listening to this broadcast. We recognise our unceded sovereignty and that a treaty was never signed. You're listening to Queer in the Air, critically engaged queer commentary with an interest on the intersection of queerness with other experience of marginalisation. The show is presented by peers on the LGBTIQA plus spectrum. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter via the handle Queer in the Air. And listen to our podcast via 3cr.org.au forward slash Queer in the Air. My name is MV. Please be aware that today's show contains some sexual and explicit language and descriptions and discussions about queerphobia, othering, isolation and discrimination towards queer people. If this type of content is a trigger for you, please contact Lifeline on 131114 or lifeline.org.au, Switchboard Victoria on 1800 184 527 or switchboard.org.au, Queerspace on 03 9663 6733 or or contact your state-based service. On today's show, I'll be speaking with Shane Toms, a visual documenter and photographer. His work focuses on the abandoned space, where he visually captures traces of human emotion and urban evolution. Based in Nam, Melbourne, his work has been focused on CNN, The Business Insider, Huffington Post, Daily Mail, A+, The Republica, and The Weather Channel. He draws an abundance of visual influence from a curious youth spent binge-watching 70s and 80s horror films. We'll be speaking about Shane's experiences of isolation in the 80s, being queer, and questioning his sexual and gender identity, and the quasi-correlations to the current measures of self-isolation and social physical distancing during the COVID-19 pandemic. Hi Shane, thanks for joining us on 3CR's Queer in the Air. Can you please start by introducing yourself? Yeah, hello. Um, I'm Shane Toms, and I'm a visual documenter and photographer of abandoned places. Um, I guess I'm driven by a playful fascination with the macabre and a lover of horror movies. I've had a few books published. Uh, my first book was uh, called Haikyo, The Modern Ruins of Japan. And most recently, I had a book released called Abandoned Australia. Both books deal with the topic of abandoned urban space and the traces of human emotion that linger throughout these places. So in a discussion we had a few weeks ago, you asked me if I felt that the world is in a control, alt, delete or reset moment. Why did you ask this? I guess there are two components to this idea, um, individually as people and uh, on a larger scale economically. So personally, we've had so many of our daily vices stalled. Um, I don't want to say removed because that's a negative connotation to this situation. I think that social distancing is a necessity at the moment and I think it's important for the greater good of the community. But visiting friends, having a drink at the pub, going to the movies, going to bars, going to our favourite restaurants, the things we once did to nourish that social side of ourselves, these have been momentarily stalled. This situation gives us an opportunity to redesign how we interact with each other. We have virtual parties. You know, they might become a lingering thing. I had my first one the other night. It was a lot of fun. Um, I suffer from a little bit of social anxiety in public spaces. 
and I had a virtual catch up with with a group of ten of my mates, and and the social anxiety wasn't there because I was in my own lounge room, but I still had the ability to experience the warmth and humour of my friends. So perhaps this sort of activity will will be a lasting legacy of this time, and you know maybe it'll be an ongoing thing post COVID nineteen. Maybe another reset is that we'll place more of an appreciation and value on the the simple ability to just walk down a street, window shop, dawdle, you know. Um, sit in a park and eat a donut, you know, celebrate New Year's Eve around a bunch of people. These simple activities, you know, they're going to have so much more meaning because we'll be contrasting this um, to the COVID-19 era. So I think it's got the capacity to make society friendlier and warmer. I think there's going to be more of an appreciation of community. And secondly, thirdly, I guess, economically, um, this is a big one. This is really wide scope, but with so much business closure, you know, it has the capacity to severely rattle and, and, and possibly annihilate the capitalist system. So really, what's on the other side of this? I don't want to go too much into my own personal political views in the public realm, but capitalism sort of falls apart in a pandemic. It doesn't really work that well in a pandemic. I feel that Maybe communism is more suited to social crisis, provided that the governing forces of that system are adequate, which they're usually not. I really like your ideas on the differences of capitalism and how that might shape how we operate in the next few weeks or or months or even years once the pandemic has died down. In the same conversation that we had a few weeks ago, you had expressed that you had experienced isolation in the 80s. Can you flesh out what that experience felt like? and how it affected you in terms of discovering or uncovering your sexual and or gender identity? Well, I'm, I'm, I'm a gay dude, and, and I guess being gay was the worst affliction in the 80s. It really was, um, especially in suburban Melbourne. I was surrounded by homophobia every day of my life. And on top of this, all these attitudes are endorsed and condoned in movies like The Breakfast Club and 16 Candles and Police Academy and countless others. And now we romanticise the 80s. I mean, just look at Stranger Things. But I just want the younger people to know that social attitudes were putrid back then. And transphobia, my heart bleeds for anyone who was trans or gender queer back then. It was a really tough time. Um, and I still hold a lot of psychological grudges and I still have my scars from those days. I mean, even teachers were homophobic and that was acceptable. So I guess I became a goth. Um, I was always obsessed with horror movies and the macabre. So I guess goth was my, my way of dealing with my sexuality. I guess just wear black, tease my hair, sit up the back of the classroom with my sleeves covering my hands and totally weed myself out, you know, and drop a stink face at anyone that looked at me the wrong way. I was denied any opportunity to experience any form of romance with another dude as a teenager. Um, so it was pretty tough. I don't have many fond memories of my teenage years. I had crushes on people. I had a massive crush on Ogre, the lead singer from Skinny Puppy. And I thought that Robert Smith from The Cure was an absolute babe, but that was as far as any form of uh, experiencing romance or any form of crush went. I'd like to ask a bit more about your, your goth period, the way that you presented yourself when you were at school, wearing long T-shirts, and you said something about having a stink face. Can you flesh that out a bit more? Why did you identify with the goth scene at that time? I had a playful fascination with the macabre and I've always loved horror movies and I've always, always loved anything that sort of shocked society. So I guess goth was my way of not only dealing with my sexuality, but also sort of um, expressing it in more of a kind of cross-gendered, frightful way, you know, wearing eyeliner and and painting my nails black. Um, It was kind of like a, an overtly frightful way to play around with gender. And it was also a lot of fun. It was an incredible amount of fun. As I got older, well, I guess when I got to 16, 17, I started going to nightclubs because when you're a goth, people can't really determine your age because you're wearing makeup. So I'd go to this club called Earwigs at night in Brunswick and um, the toilets were, were genderless. You know, I mean, you couldn't tell if, if anybody was male or female or in between or whatever. I guess goth was a wonderful way and an incredibly creative way of expressing, you know, my gender identity and, and, and my sexuality. And as Susie Sue said in a documentary, and I've forgotten the name of the documentary, um, but I had a lot of girlfriends that were boyfriends and a lot of boyfriends that were girlfriends and I had everything in between that and it was really lovely and it saved me. And my best friends now, the best friends that I have now at the age of 45 are the friends that I met through the goth scene. And yeah, beautiful experiences and, and very special. And if I had a child and my child was a goth, I would be so proud of them. So yeah. <laughs> 
What a beautiful way to express how you were able to push through those really tough times as, as a youth and come to terms with your sexuality. At the moment, all of us, we are being reshaped in this period of physical distancing without touch, self-isolation and social slash physical distancing during the COVID-19 pandemic. What have been the difficulties or pros during this time? Okay, I'll start with the pros. Um, okay, the pros. I mean, I'm finally getting around to doing all those those small things that I've just been putting off for years, like organising my massive DVD collection into alphabetical order. And, oh, my God, that sounds really boring, but that's what I'm doing. Um, going through all my old archives from the 90s, um, I used to DJ at Goth Industrial Clubs in the 90s and the early 2000s, and I've been finding old photos of my mates from years ago. And it's prompted me to send messages to these to these wonderful people that played a special part in my life. So the other night, I, I went through um, a memory box, uh, which is just a plastic storage container at the back of my, my, my closet, and I found all these photos of, uh, of a few old friends of mine. So I sent them messages with pictures of the photos, um, photos that I took with my phone of the photos, and it just started a really beautiful discussion, and, and it, we'd sort of shared some memories and... I've reconnected with these people and it's really lovely, you know, but I mean, I've lived alone for years, so I'm, I'm cool with self-isolating. I find self-isolating quite peaceful. I have a massive horror movie collection, a huge horror movie collection. So that just keeps me really busy. I love getting lost in my own head. I guess that's something that's been with me since childhood. So I, I'm, I'm always working on something. Um, but the cons, I guess, um, I miss dates. Dates are kind of fun. You know, and being able to cuddle a dude, you know, have a quick pash, I guess. Um, those things I miss a bit, yeah. The absence of touch and intimacy, whether it is with friends or with a loved one or with a lover or a date, mm. is something that a lot of people have said at the moment they do miss and it has been a difficult time for a lot of people in relation to fulfilling that desire or fulfilling that, that need for connection and for love and for intimacy. It's, it's a very true thing. I do want to ask more questions on that particular issue, but I'd like to segue to a song. Is there a particular song that you'd like to play at this point and why? Absolutely. Um, I'd love to play Short Term Effect by The Cure. Pornography is my number one favourite album of all time by The Cure. And um, Short Term Effect is, is a brilliant song and it suits me being lost inside my head in my darker teenage years. And also... Short term, um, I hope COVID-19 doesn't last so very long. So um, <laughs> um, I guess it's a mixture of different reasons why I'd like this song to be played. You're listening to Queer in the Air.
So, here you are, too foreign for home, too foreign for here, never enough for both. Ijuoma Umebinyo, Diaspora Blues. What makes you smile and adds a spring to your step? What does it mean to belong and how do we build a home away from home? Diaspora Blues is a show that contemplates what is and what could be. Join Busto and Bigwa every Monday at 2.30 on 3CR Community Radio. Produced by Jan. My name's Chris Breen from the Refugee Action Collective. I've been charged with incitement under the 1958 Crimes Act for helping to organise a safe car convoy protest calling for the release of the refugees at the Mantra Hotel and across Australia because of the risk of COVID-19. Labor MPs Jed Carney and Peter Khalil have called for the release of the refugees in the Mantra Hotel, and Jed Carney sent us an audio message supporting the goals of the protest. 26 refugee supporters have been issued fines of $1,652 each, making a total of $43,000 in fines. We'll be challenging the fines and the incitement charge in court, and we need your help. We've got a sign-on statement, a petition, a fundraising campaign for our legal defence, and a public meeting with Craig Foster, Mosford Manus, Julian Burnside and myself on Monday the 4th of May at 6.30pm. You can go to rack-vic.org or facebook forward slash rackvic for more information. Your solidarity can make a difference for both civil liberties and the urgent campaign to free the refugees. A 3CR supporter. You're listening to 3CR Community Radio. 855 AM. And that was The Cure with Short-Term Effect. This is Queer in the Air, 3CR, 855 AM, digital and live streaming on 3cr.org.au. If you just tuned in, I'm speaking with Shane Toms, a visual documenter and photographer. We're speaking about Shane's experiences of isolation in the 80s, being queer and questioning sexual and gender identity and the quasi-correlations to the current measures of self-isolation during the COVID-19 pandemic. An article I found online via them entitled How Queer People Are Getting Off While Staying In describes this time during the pandemic as follows. Begin quote, Social distancing marks an unprecedented constraint on most anyone with a libido and no partner at home. Many in the queer community are no strangers to fear and stigma when it comes to sex. We know what it's like to feel shamed for having it at all and to generally maintain a more acute sense of our sexual health. But the coronavirus is unlike any health emergency we've faced in our lifetime and prevention measures are extreme. Do you feel the absence of intimacy, physical touch, sex or hookups during this time of the pandemic? Yeah, I do feel the absence of intimacy now. Um, when this first happened, I didn't. And now I'm, I'm sort of a little envious of people who have a partner to go through this isolation thing with. But 
I guess familiarity breeds contempt. Um, and I guess if I was with the same person every day, it might get a little bit boring. Regarding how queer people are, are getting off while staying in and, and, and in terms of the app world, which essentially, let's face it, that's how we all meet. I've deleted Grindr. I mean, I, I find Grindr a little bit gross anyway, but, you know, I guess the best of a bad bunch is scruff. And I've changed my details to read as chat only. And I'm finding that most people are respecting this, you know, and I've had no negativity from anyone and people are actually wanting to chat. And I find that there's this thing called the global grid on scruff that I used to really dislike. And now I really like it. I've got dudes from New York and London and, and Marrakesh and all these really amazing places messaging me. And I'm actually engaging um, in really good cyber conversations with these people that are all going through the same experience that I'm going through. In terms of anyone who's randomly hooking up at the moment, um, I just think that they have no regard for the community and, and they need to be called out. My dad's in a high-risk group. You know, he's in his 70s and he has breathing problems. So anyone who is randomly hooking up, think about these people. They're vulnerable. And I think it's pretty shitful if anyone is actually still hooking up the way that we used to pre-COVID-19. A lot of the conversations I've had are, I'm getting a lot of, people messaging me, I guess, in abundance because there is no platform for them to interact with anybody. Their nightclub or their gym or a place where they can actually flex their muscles is digitally on an app with me while I'm lying in bed. And these conversations aren't really sexual. They're not really that sexual. They're conversational and they have a little bit of melancholy attached to them. That contradicts me saying that these conversations have been positive before, but... From what you said, there is a dichotomy from it, though. Yes, there is some positives mm. and there is a melancholy. And that is just a reality of where we are at the moment and the way many people are trying to deal with the isolation that they're feeling. Whilst initially it does sound like it's contradicting, it's because it's so layered. It's so much more complex than just one answer. In our conversation a few weeks back, you divulged that music played a large role in helping young people. In fact saving them from killing themselves. You said that the band Skinny Puppy was instrumental for you in this instance. How so? Um, Skinny Puppy, um, they're a brilliant band. They're still around. Um, and um, they were this bright light of hope in my early teenage years. They totally f***ed around with the excesses of the 80s. You know, they were like a tear in the social, the strict social fabric of, of the time. I mean, the 80s were all about adhering to social norms and fitting in. Luckily, Nirvana appeared in the early 90s and all of that away, which was awesome. And of course, there were, there were amazing artists like Sizzy and the Banshees and Six Six Sputnik and Alien Sex Scenes. And of course, we had more accessible artists like Boy George and Marilyn that played around with the rejection of social norms. Most of the metal bands were sort of gross and just endorsed this blokey, misogynist um, but Skinny Puppy were, were socially aware and, and, and they turned their social awareness into these visceral, sublime musical performances. Um, and we have songs like First Aid from 1987 um, that addresses the fears of HIV and the AIDS crisis. Um, and the album Vivisec V from 1988 addressed animal cruelty through animal testing. And there was uh, little, if any, coverage of these topics back then. In the late 80s, we had Tin Omen, um, a song from their album Rabies. And the title of the song is uh, Tin Omen. It's a play on Tiananmen Square and the horrors of what occurred in Beijing at the time. And no one was singing about this at the time. So they were sort of prolific. And also Al Jorgensen from Ministry, who is a, a band that I love, uh, did backing vocals on that track also. So it's really cool in that way. Um, so listening to, uh, to Skinny Puppy alleviated my anger at a lot of things. You know, they were comforting and they made me feel like it was okay to be different, you know. And they also had this amazing synth beat in all of their tracks that I loved dancing in my bedroom too. And they also used uh, samples from, from all of my favourite horror movies and John Waters films as well. So in general, how do you feel your attachment to certain music, bands or other forms of music or sound have helped you in feeling less of a freak, othered or different from your peers? I guess, well, now, I mean, as a 45-year-old, um, um, a lot of these bands played a, a bigger part when I was younger. Now I, lo I love so many different bands and styles. I mean, I've discovered so many amazing artists post-goth, um, like Crosby, Stills and Nash and Tom Petty and all these amazing artists that have been around for years. But when I was younger, I suppose I was drawn to anything dark and angry that, that sort of questioned society and, and sort of questions the social norms that, that I didn't feel that I was a part of. Um, 
but it also had to have a beat. Um, <laughs> but I also loved a lot of death rock um, and goth stuff. Um, and I was a massive Sisters of Mercy fan. I still am. I saw the Sisters of Mercy last year in October at the Forum and they were amazing. Yeah. Just as a, like a side point, what, what would be your top five favourite bands over the last 30 years? The Cure, Skinny Puppy, The Sisters of Mercy, Swans, Current 93, and The Legendary Pink Dots. That works for me. That's great. What other bands, genres of music, or speakers have made it easier for you to fall into your identity? You've told me in conversations that writer, director, and producer Lana Wachowski is actually God. Tell me more. Oh, look, I just think Lana Wachowski is an incredible role model for the queer, gender, queer and trans community. Um, like, they created The Matrix. And that's like a God statement. Um, it doesn't require expansion. It's just pure genius. Um, but also for trans and gender queer individuals, um, uh, what a brilliant role model and, and, and life guide rail. Um, I mean, there are some amazing trans and queer role models out there, but I, I feel that there are perhaps too many that sort of dwell in the more theatrical realm. Drag is entirely different and separate from trans. However, drag is what gets most of the spotlight in terms of cross-gender identity in the mainstream. I guess that has a lot to do with the success of RuPaul's Drag Race. Um, but it's all theatrics. And I just think that Lana and also Lana's sibling Lily are these high-level existential thinkers and they're just sort of brilliant. I mean, again, they wrote The Matrix. So that's the done deal. Um, I don't really need to expand on that. <laughs> And how, does, how did that help you fall into your identity? How did it help you to uncover or discover your identity? How did it make it easier for you? Mind opening, mind opening. If you look at The Matrix, The Matrix is, while it was, is, it was made to be very accessible, I mean, it's got Keanu Reeves in it, um, so how much more accessible can you sort of get? Um, but, it, but when you look at The Matrix, it's extremely existential. It forces you to go into your mind and it forces you to split apart reality and it forces you to uh, face a lot of components of reality. It provides a blueprint to pick yourself apart and in picking yourself apart, you can incorporate gender identity and, and sexuality and, and every other facet of what makes us um, our psychological makeup, if that makes sense. So, what song do you want to play? Uh, I'd like to play The Choke by Skinny Puppy because I'm really at answering questions. <laughs> and I'm, I, I choke up a bit when I'm answering questions. And also, I love Skinny Puppy. And this song is really amazing. And I used to dance to it a lot in the very early 90s at a club called Rave Dream Night Club in Melbourne many, many years ago with, with my friends and with friends that I'm still best friends with to this day. So it's a very special track. You're listening to Crew in the Air on 855am digital and live streaming on 3cr.org.au. If you cut off my head, what do I say? Me and my, me and my head or me and my body?
What a show of strength we've got here today. Local issues. So I'm here at the school kids strike for climate action. Live coverage. Join the, the spirit of this gathering here today at IMAP. Your voices. So give us a bit of a lowdown about what's happening. There's about 200, 250 people here at the moment. Community struggles. We're now in front of the uh, Tundaminuaya Mōbōhina Monument. I'd like to thank Community Radio 3CR, who for the last decade has been broadcasting here. Feed Radical Radio, your membership is vital. A few hundred people about to pass us right now. Lots of young people standing up for their future. Subscribe today. Go to 3cr.org.au forward slash subscribe or call the station on 9419 8377. You're listening to 3CR. We really are in unprecedented times and 3CR, as your local community broadcaster, is trying to do our part to minimise the spread of the coronavirus throughout the community. At the front of our minds is protecting the most marginalised and vulnerable, but we are still here. And we'll continue broadcasting 24 hours a day with radical alternative content throughout this period, but things will sound a bit different. Some programmers will present their shows on the phone and we'll be finding creative ways to bring you our regular programming. So stay tuned, stay safe, and be kind to each other. And that was Skinny Puppy with their track, The Choke.
If you've just tuned in, I'm speaking with Shane Toms, a visual documenter and photographer. His work focuses on the abandoned space where he visually captures traces of human emotion and urban evolution. Today, we're speaking about Shane's experiences of isolation in the 80s, being queer and questioning gender identity and sexual identity and how music has helped him to feel less othered and more in tune with his identity. And we're also looking at the quasi-correlations to the current measures of self-isolation and physical distancing during the COVID-19 pandemic. Shane, how does the sense of abandonment and places void of human activity and the isolation born out of COVID-19 feed into your work? A sentence from your bio says the following, we face our mortality and realize our lives in the scope of existence are brief in comparison to the structures we build. Please expand on this notion. Um, okay, so these buildings and these structures, they live on um, unless they're demolished. But, I mean, time continues, yet we don't. The narrative of the COVID-19 situation feeds into my work in the sense that I photograph abandoned places and most of our civic spaces are abandoned at the moment. So um, this all sort of prompts thoughts on our journeys from permanency to disposability and construction to deconstruction. I guess abandoned places uh, are an incredibly reflective platform um, that I offer as an experience through my art and through my books. But it's, it's, it sort of seems that when you close my books, the narrative is sort of left, left off the pages and manifested itself into the real-time environment. I mean, Melbourne is abandoned. Um, and I have a lot of people asking me questions about this. I guess my work is sort of more focused on nature reclaiming the space. Um, I mean, animals are returning uh, to the to the civic space. Dolphins in Italy, and 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 we've got ducks on the steps of work buildings in the CBD, uh, which which is gorgeous. But the plants haven't engulfed everything yet, um, and I tend to focus more on decay as opposed to abandonment. Uh, the space hasn't been abandoned for very long, I guess, and and there's still a few people out and about. Um, so it's not exactly Chernobyl or Futaba in Fukushima or anything, but um, I guess there is a correlation between. Melbourne being empty at the moment and, and my, own, my own body of work. Can you expand on the notion of real-time abandonment and how nature is reclaiming the space? What does that mean for you? Real-time abandonment is, is, is more sort of uh, recent abandonment. It's sort of, I guess, it has... There's a very short timeline on how long that particular space will be abandoned for. I don't, I don't really think COVID-19 is going to last for an eternity. So I really don't think that the civic spaces um, around us are, are going to be reclaimed by nature. And we still do have people, council workers, um, that are, that are uh, manicuring, you know, the nature strips. And, 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 and we've got people still going to their shops that they own. I mean, they're closed, but they're still maintaining them. As opposed to um, the abandonment that I document, such as uh, Chernobyl and Fukushima, which are civic spaces uh, that were abandoned as a result of uh, nuclear catastrophes and have been abandoned for, for a long time. And Mother Nature has completely engulfed a lot of these buildings and structures. Um, and it's sort of like in Japan in particular, you know, I mean, Kudzavine covers everything in, in Fukushima now. Um, you know, it's like Mother Nature is, has just taken this beautiful green shit all over everything. And it's gorgeous. Um, but the backstory behind the reason for these abandonments is tragic and horrible and heartbreaking. And how do you feel when you're in those spaces? You spoke about documenting spaces in Chernobyl. What was the feeling like for you? Um, look, I enjoy being in any space where Mother Nature has, has taken over, any space that Mother Nature has reclaimed, um, where I can see plants covering concrete. I love that. I love the smell. I love the sensation. I love the look of it. I think it's gorgeous and it's stunning and it's organic. It strips away that sterility of of the man-made touch and it reminds me that mother nature is the governing force people can be triggered by conversations about survival during this time of uncertainty and anxiety what has been some tactics or habits that you have adopted or adapted during this self-isolation period and what has made you feel empowered to achieve a sanctum of inner peace um look just Maintaining a sense of compassion and civility, that, that's something that I'm building on um, every day throughout this experience. Um, I f hate hoarding. I mean, think about it. So many of the enjoyable experiences we have in this existence involve other people. 
So if you're a survivalist and you're buying all of your shit and you're denying other people the opportunity to survive alongside you, you'll be the only one left. And that's going to be really, really boring. So take care of each other and make sure you leave shit for other people on the supermarket shelf and don't be an um, because a world without other people is really, really boring or it would be really boring. During this, this, this weird time, look out for each other and be kind. You know, if you're not coping, reach out to friends and family. Um, also be wary of the cornered rat mentality. As humans, we can feel desperate and cornered and helpless. And as a result, we react with hatred and anger and it's not conducive and it achieves nothing. So again, if you're not coping, reach out to friends and family and breathe. Breathing is amazing. Um, you know, it, it just it just fills you with life and, and, it, and it puts everything into perspective. And also look out for the elderly and, and look out for those those people who have extra needs, you know, um, you know, such as the homeless. And I know that we're a cashless society, but if you've got it, chuck a fiver or a tenner to a homeless person if you can. Just be a good person and care for people. And if listeners would like to view or access your work, where can they find you and get into contact? Um, yeah, so on Instagram, I guess, is my main platform. I'm violent underscore crumble. Violence, um, uh, as in a play on the violet crumble, it's V-I-O-L-E-N-T underscore crumble. Um, and I'm Shane Toms on Facebook, and I accept all friend requests. Um, so it's like a, it's where I show most of my art. Um, so yeah, and I've got a website, shanetoms.com, if you're interested in reading about my work. But yeah, stay safe and stay healthy everybody and look after yourselves and look after each other Jane Toms thank you so much for taking the time to speak with me on 3CR's Queer in the Air and for the opportunity to speak about your reflections on the correlations of the current measures of self-isolation during the COVID-19 pandemic and also your journey of growing into your identities and experiencing isolation in the 80s as a queer person it's truly appreciated thank you so much if the content discussed in today's show has been a trigger for you, please contact Lifeline on 13 11 14 or lifeline.org.au, Switchboard Victoria on 1800-184-527 or switchboard.org.au, Queerspace on 03-9663-6733 or queerspace.org.au or contact your state-based service. You've been listening to Queer in the Air with MV in conversation with visual documenter and photographer Shane Toms. If you have any questions, comments or complaints about today's program, please contact us at queerintheair at gmail.com. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter via the handle Queer in the Air and listen to our podcast via 3cr.org.au forward slash Queer in the Air. You can listen back to today's program on demand for up to a week after initial broadcast via 3cr.org.au forward slash Queer in the Air. And now, Shane, you'd like to play a track? Play Tin Omen by Skinny Puppy in memory of, of all of the warriors uh, from Tiananmen Square that have been forgotten. And this is Skinny Puppy with their track, Tin Omen. Thanks for listening to today's show, and until next time, have a great day.
For an easy way to keep up with your annual 3CR subscription, you can now set up an annual debit from your bank account or credit card, and once a year your payment will be automatically deducted. You can cancel at any time and you'll get a reminder each year before payment. Be a constant supporter of Melbourne's precious independent community radio station and set up a recurring payment today. Just go to 3cr.org.au forward slash subscribe. listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.